When you first started out in 1988, did you ever think you would build this empire? No. <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't, I, I think the reason why is I just really ultimately wanted to make sure that we were a company that we told consumers the truth. Okay, so today's guest is Paul Porter. Paul Porter is the founder of Premier Pools and Spas. If you don't know who Premier Pools and Spas is, you're missing out. Premier Pools is the largest pool builder in the world. They have over 150 franchise locations across the country, and they are giants in this space. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yep. So I'm excited to dig in. Obviously, you know our story right now with Anchor Tiny Homes, but we're kind of in the franchise space uh, in the infancy, right? We just launched April of last year. So I'm excited to pick your brain and kind of hear the story of, of how you guys built it. So when did you start Premier Pools and, and what is the origin story of, of, of Premier Pools? Well, a pretty humble beginning. Uh, we started back in 1988. I had worked for a, uh, another pool builder at the time. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, I, I was a salesperson and manager of the particular office he ended up uh, going out of business, and I found myself not only uh, out, of, out of a job, but with the situation, he didn't only go out of business. He went out of business in the middle of the night, and so he left, a, a you know, he drained the bank account. He left town. Um, I had sold a bunch of pools in my particular neighborhood that I lived at the time, and uh, I just felt compelled that, uh, you know, these people trusted me. And I had to figure out a way to help them through the process. Um, he took the majority of the money, so there wasn't necessarily enough money to finish the pools. But what we did is we offered our services, whether it be uh, aligning them with subcontractors or anything that we could do, whether it be, you know, uh, setting equipment, putting fences up, clean the backyard, wash their windows, whatever we can do. Uh, we wanted to do that to help them finish. We didn't take any money. We allowed them to pay the, the contractors directly. Uh, that was, like I said, I, I wish it was more ceremonious uh, beginning, but that was the beginning. But what I saw was a lot of angst and a lot of pain uh, that was created. And I always thought, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, with not having a swimming pool. I always thought only just, you know, wealthy people on swimming pool. But I found out it was just family people, people that uh, wanted to provide something for their families, worked all their lives, dreamed about owning a swimming pool. And so as as I went through this process and finished up, what I was determined to do is to make sure that if I ever went back in the swimming pool business or ever built a pool again, that I would I would uh, set expectations uh, that I could hopefully exceed and uh, most importantly, tell the consumer the truth because the trust that they put in us. So I borrowed uh, $50, I printed up some flyers and I started going door to door when I finished those pools. And that was the beginning of Premier Pools 35 years ago. That's incredible. So did you have any partners at the time? Was it just you or how, how did that lay out? I had, I, I brought in a guy uh, that actually worked for me. His name was Keith Harbeck and I brought in and he uh, uh, again, kind of went shoulder to shoulder with me, helped finish the process. Uh, and uh, you know, we were going literally door to door to pass out flyers. And uh, you know, it took three weeks before we got our first lead. Uh, you probably, <laughs> nice. Appreciate that. How how difficult it is is, yeah. and then and then when people asked us about our experience, we really didn't have anything to brag about. We had to tell them that we you know we'd work for this pool builder. It was an unfortunate situation. 
Um, we weren't well liked in town. We were bad mouthed by the competition. But uh, when we sat down and told people our story and the desire that we had to do a better job than anybody else in town, uh, and that uh, we even offered this first customer the fact he can go out there and pay the subcontractors directly. This is how much money we're going to make. And if uh, we did a good job, you know, just pay us the profit. He fortunately gave us the, you know, he, he said, you know, there's something about you guys I trust. I'm going to get you, uh, get you, give you the job. And uh, to say that we exceeded his expectations was probably the understatement of the century, mm-hmm. uh, just from the fact that we told him we'd build a pool in six weeks and we built, built it in three weeks. I mean, that was our whole world. I mean, we figured if there's anything we could do on that project to make an extra $10, that was five more dollars for me and five more dollars for Keith's family. that We can go out there and buy some groceries or, or something. Um, the second pool we built was uh, the next door neighbor. She was a widow and uh, she saw what we did in trust us. And the third pool we built was, uh, you know, about three street, streets over. He was a um, swim coach in the Sacramento. Uh, or, uh, he worked at a high school and uh, he, he taught swimming or was a swim coach on their swim team. He sent me 13 jobs. And again, that was 35 years ago and uh, about 115,000 pools ago, about $4.6 billion in business ago. It's crazy. That's incredible. Okay. So obviously in the beginning, it was a corporate or company owned outlet type business. When, when did franchising come into play? How, like 1988, you guys started, when did the idea for franchising come into play? Well, uh, you know, we built our business out of our garage in Folsom, California and uh, in Sacramento to the actual largest single builder in the United States. We built that business from zero, from a $50 investment to $100 million business in Sacramento, which is the 43rd largest metropolitan area in the United States. It's a good pool market, but not people typically didn't think of Sacramento as as the pool mecca like you would in Las Vegas or Phoenix or Dallas or, you know, these other marketplaces. Uh, We got hit with the same great recession or great depression in the swimming pool business in 2007. At the time, we had 500 employees. We were building 1,000 pools a year. Uh, we were driving, you know, digging seven pools a day, seven days a week. And we went from 1,000 pools a year in 2006 to, by the time we hit 2010, uh, down to about 230 pools a year. So unfortunately, we had to, you know, let go of some of our family members in the company. But we learned a lot through that process. What made that that period so difficult is finance financing completely dried up. I mean, there was if you didn't have cash for a pool, you weren't buying one. Uh, and then you know people's houses were depreciating; they had no equity. The consumer confidence was low. We learned a lot how to survive, and we just survived literally by a thread. When I looked at our industry, they had lost about seventy percent of our industry at the time, and I said, you know, there's a there's a story I, I need to tell. If we don't have consolidation. Uh, if we don't have scalability, we don't share knowledge in the, uh, uh, in the industry, we don't provide a better experience for the consumer, this industry is going to collapse because we can't have, there's 15,000 builders out there. We can't have 15,000 different experiences, especially as the consumer is becoming more sophisticated. Um, so I really didn't know at the time how we were going to do it. Uh, we didn't start franchising. We actually started licensing because uh, we... It was easier to get in. The franchise process is is very arduous, <laughs> you know, from from uh, uh, ops manuals to FDDs, as you all well know, 
And then we, we had to uh, trademark the name Premier, which was difficult because it's descriptive instead of distinctive, which took us some years. And then just figure out how to, when you don't own a business and you're effectively the licensor, how do you get people to buy into a common uh, vision uh, and to create a, a, a continuity through the process of the experience so the customer can relate the brand to a, a specific experience. That was something we kind of had to learn. When you own the business, you just tell people what to do. Uh, when you uh, when you start to license or franchise, you don't tell them what to do. You have to you have to convince them that uh, it's in everybody's best interest to provide a, a, a experience yeah. that is associated with the brand. That's right. And if, if the experience is positive, if there's value with it, if you're known for integrity, then the brand will grow. So I started licensing in 2010. I realized that because I'm so strong-willed that <laughs> I was really starting a franchise business and I wanted to, the only way that we could create this continuity that I wanted is to have more control over the process. So we started the uh, franchising process in 2012 and we completed that and started franchising in 2014. Wow, so, so pretty recent and, uh, actually, that's that incredible. Yeah, so 2010, we did $30 million in business. That was our first year of licensing. And last year, to our 2022, we did $757 million in business. That's incredible. So we grew to 175 franchises, building them, uh, you know, 8,000 pools a year. Uh, and as you said earlier, became the world's largest pool builder by a multiple of about five or six times. That's and incredible. we continue to grow. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you guys, obviously throughout this process, you've learned a lot, right? I'm sure, you know, when you talk about a hundred million, 750 million, everybody's like, Oh, I want to do that. But why don't you talk about some of the hard times? Obviously 2008 was, was a grind and just getting through that I'm sure was really, really hard. My dad had a shed company at the time, I think 30, 35 employees. I mean, he had to let everybody go and it was just him and one employee for, you know, three, four years after that. So obviously 2008 was really hard. What are some other moments you remember throughout this journey that stick out to you that were really difficult? Well, you know, losing people. I mean, you grow a business from 1988 into 2000, and it's just straight up and to the right. And all of a sudden you get to know these employees and their families and you have picnics and they become part of your, you know, your life. Uh, you see their kids grow up and to see the business uh, scale down so much. And I'm sure your dad experienced this too, is very, very difficult. But what we had to do is we had to make sure that, that we could survive the other side. And so what we did is we just kept our, our leads in each department, you know, because we did all our own work. We did our excavation and plumbing and steel and electric and all these things. And we kept our leads. And coming out of this thing, as we started to grow, we allowed them to kind of bring their families back in. So that was difficult. Um, but we, we we survived. Secondly, when I started this, it was really, you know, in the swimming pool industry, nobody understood what licensing or franchising was. I I literally got in my car. I started driving all over the United States, knocking on doors and telling people about my vision about this consolidated industry, sharing knowledge, scalability. Um, and they were saying, well, what is a license and why do I need a license? I already have a license. <laughs> and I was saying, because every other, you know, the world is going to uh, uh, create scale a continuity and we have to create scale to create efficiencies. And like I said, we have to have shared knowledge. Uh, 
uh, to because the consumer is evolving and the consumer is becoming more sophisticated. So, uh, but we did, we start talking. I got a few people uh, there, but a lot, like I said, they are so ins insistent on doing things their own way. It was very, very difficult for them to say, okay, this is what we want to do. This is experience we want to create. This is the way we want to market. This is the way we want to treat the customer and to get on the same page. And again, that's kind of how it evolved into to, um, to franchising. I talked to a lot of people on Wall Street. I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I had a, a company called Jefferies, which is a big financial firm, called me with my wife and I, and they sat across the table and they were looking at us for about five minutes. And they, they finally reached across the table and they said, I just got to shake your hand. And I said, why? And they said, we thought nobody could ever consolidate or franchise the construction industry because it's like herding cats. Everybody has their own way of doing things. And I says, you can't if you just want, I, I mean, a franchise is about process systems and procedures, but you can't even get them to adopt process system and procedure unless they adopt the culture. And so what you have to do is you have to establish a culture that that is the cornerstone of your organization. And the culture's got to stand for like-minded people wanting to do things with integrity, wanting to build a generational business, um, and, uh, and, and taking pride in what they do, and a commitment to excellence, and a commitment to value. And if you can get the, you can get the best producers in the world, the smartest people in the world, but if they don't have the heart condition, if they don't have the character, you're not going to ever change them. And we've realized that through the process. So as I continue to recruit for franchising, we start with character. We, we, we start, you know, because we still feel we're with all the technology we have, and we have tons of technology and we use AI and we use augmented reality. We draw 150,000 leads a year and we have 1.5 million people to our website. We do a lot of things, but it's still people doing business with people. And our job is to make sure that we fulfill the customer's desire to own a swimming pool. And I think that industry has lost that, that when we validate the customer's decision to do business with us, they'll tell their friends and neighbors and our business will grow. As sophisticated as we are, and as many marketing people as we are, we have, um, and as many degrees as they have, there's nothing more powerful than a customer telling their friend, do business with these people, I trust them, they do a good job, and they're honest. And that's kind of the culture, the cornerstone that we built this organization. But you have to, it can't be something that's on the wall. You have to live it every day. And I tell people that if you damage the brand by not telling the truth, you will lose your franchise. And I've cut people because of that. No matter how, what, no matter what kind of volume they do, there's too many other people that are abiding by the principles that we've established that will be affected if we let the people that aren't doing the right thing continue doing business. And that's the hardest thing in business. And most franchise owners, they don't walk the walk. <laughs> uh, you know, they 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 all they do is they sell a franchise. They give you a quota. As long as you meet the quota and you, you make the sandwiches, you're fine. But the great companies in the United States, if, and they're not necessarily franchise companies like In-N-Out <laughs> or, or like uh, Chick-fil-A or some of the great companies in the world, they've stayed true to an organization that when you see that product, you instantly have an image of the experience that you're going to have. And that's something that we, we've we tried to do in the in the franchise business and, and certainly in the construction business. Not easy, and we don't always get it right, but you got to start with laser focus and a commitment to make sure the culture is, is pure.
That's really good. That's really good. Okay, so you said you you said you guys grew to a hundred billion in corporate sales. This was pre franchising. You you had a partner. Are you fully a franchise business now, or is there a component where there's a corporate business as well? Well, uh, actually, when I left in two thousand ten, I actually gave my that Sacramento business over to my partner, and I said, I just want the brand. I'm going to go out there. Last year, we bought that business back. Uh, from him. <laughs> now he's a company-owned store. We we have four different franchise divisions. We have Premier Pools, we have Pinnacle Pools, we have Premier Service, and we have Pinnacle Service. And so we bought a service company last year, a large service company. And Sacramento grew back to a hundred million dollars year business. So we still own Sacramento. We own Modesto and and Reno. It's three company stores, and then we own a service division and training center. A company-owned store in Dallas. Everything else is franchised. Okay, I love it. So a lot of people we talk to because I know you guys went through a private equity event, and we'll talk about that at the end. But um, we've talked to a bunch of private equity firms, and and a lot of them talk about, well, why don't you just keep it all corporate, right? Because we're we're going to do a hundred million this year in sales, and that's just in Sacramento, the Bay Area, right, and all of that. And we just felt like franchising was a great way to grow and keep that local feel. Um, do, what are the benefits of franchising? Do you feel like, and then what are the the more difficult things in franchising, or would you would you you change anything that you did or would you have kept it corporate or do you like the franchise space? Well, I think there's more opportunity in franchising because what you have is skin in the game. You have that individual that still owns their business that has an entrepreneurial attitude and they can, you know, succeed. You know, you don't just have a manager. Uh, They're spending their own money. Uh, They're building their own uh, value in their business. They have something that, you know, one of the things that I push real hard is build some a generational business. The world's getting really ugly. Build something that is not only a value that you can sell someday, but you can pass on to your family and that you you have long-term legacy reputation. Um, that's that's the benefit of franchising. And then if you have the right team, it's very, very successful because you can grow like we've grown. The, the challenge is that you get swept into the things that your franchises do, even though that you don't consummate the deal with the consumer. I mean, somebody's out there, you know, tonight writing a contract with the customer, making representations, us at the corporate level don't have any influence over that because the their their particular LLC owns the the, the franchise or the license to do business as, as Premier Pools but they're still an independently owned and operated business doing that. So they have to want to do things based on the corporate philosophy, but you don't know whether it's the owner or their salespeople or their supervisors or anybody else in the corporation are representing the company the way that you want it represented. That's the biggest challenge. And we get swept into things that, you know, if they're not happy with uh, one of our builders out there, you know, they want to sue us. And we're not the ones, not that we're not sympathetic, it's just we're not the ones that did the biz- did business with them. We didn't make the representations. We didn't pick the subcontractors. We didn't determine the, the pricing, anything. We, so we don't really even have, and we can't because the franchise model doesn't allow you to do that. I mean, the franchise model, you are selling your license to an independently owned and operated business. So <laughs> you have to make belonging to the franchise so powerful that they want to do the right things so that they stay a part of the franchise. And that's why I think we've become uh, successful 
but I, I wished I could tell you I had 100% success. We've never had anybody quit, uh, but we've we've had to unfortunately release over the last 14 years. We've had to release probably 30 or 40 people because they just, and, and some people that weren't even financial trouble, they just wouldn't abide to, the, you know, they were diminishing the brand and the experience that we expect from our franchisees. That's right. Okay, so did you, when you first started out in 1988, did you ever think you would build this empire? Did you did you ever have dreams of this being a possibility? No. <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't, I, I think the reason why is, you know, if I, I was led by purpose uh, more so than, and I think it'll deceive you when you, when you look at the end goal. Uh, sometimes you'll take short pets to get to the end goal. My purpose to do the right thing for the consumer based on not only my upbringing, uh, but just based on the experience of seeing how much angst, you know, when people trust trust you, if you don't do it right, how much angst and anguish and how disappointing it was. I just really ultimately wanted to make sure that we were a company that we told consumers the truth. And if we made a mistake that we didn't hide behind a contract, we made a mistake. We did we did right by people, um, and as old fashioned as that sounds, and you know, we got every company in the planet wanting to take us public, and you know, like like you said, we have uh, a minority private equity uh, a partner in there, and there's a reason I'll tell you why I only want minority uh, later. But um, you know that that purpose for the last 35 years has stayed strong. I mean, I want to be proud. I want to set a good example for my kids. Uh, which work with me now. I want to set a good example for my grandkids and my employees. And most importantly, I want to make sure that I'm proud of what I did. I, I you know, I have a, a couple of things I say to my team is don't chase the money. You'll never catch it. Do the right thing. The money always follows. And don't love something that doesn't love you back. And that's money. So if I mean, you, what you can love is the, the, your reputation. What you can love is the experience. What you can love is respect. Uh, what you can love is integrity. Everything comes with those factors. Uh, we always found if we do the right thing, we make ourselves valuable, our customers, our, our customers will grow our business. And, uh, you know, that helped uh, for sure. And then, as you know, we did a national TV show for a couple of years, and then we got a ton of branding for that. And, and that also, you know, it's been seen, you know, over 50 million times uh, around the world. That doesn't hurt your branding either. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's right. So talk to me about the TV show. Did you guys get picked up or was it an idea that you had to kind of start doing a documentary? We got picked up. Okay. Yeah, we got called by a production company. Uh, they were doing a show called Tanked at the time, which is a kind of a show to build fish tanks, you know, and they picked us up and they kind of liked, you know, our scale and that we were, we were builders that were building all over the United States. So my son and I traveled around and did that for two years and 20 episodes. It just got to be, you know, I was running a, a, a growing and big business. It got to be a whole heck of a lot to do and a lot of time away from my family. It took about 70 hours to actually film a 30 minute show. And they were traveling, you know, all over the United States to do this. So it got to be a much, but it was, it was great for, um, you know, these, these home improvement shows are great for the customers to get ideas and see what's possible. And I, because we were building these million dollar projects and doing these crazy things, uh, it, it gave people a lot of ideas and it certainly gave us a whole heck of a lot of credibility. 
Yeah. Okay. So, to, so talk to me about the private equity event. So what, was that something you guys always wanted to do? Did it just come out of the blue? What, why did you take on private equity? And then what's the plan afterwards? Well, uh, no, we had no desire to do that. We were doing fine. Um, I didn't actually want to, I wasn't interested in selling our business uh, just because I just felt like anytime you sell your business, they have a, a, a different end goal and a different reason for running the business. And, and whether it's a public company or private equity company, it's really about, I'm going to buy the company, I'm going to improve the company, and I'm going to sell it for more than I bought it for. That's their model. But I also understood that I needed more thought partners. Uh, you know, there's a, you, you get into a tunnel when you're in a particular type of industry that you know your industry, but you don't necessarily know the business world. And uh, you don't know leverage, you don't know financing, you don't know opportunities. Um, and so I was trying to get people in our industry to continue. I consolidated and continue to call, consolidate the building side. But I really thought we were one leg of the stool and we needed manufacturing and we needed distribution. And then we needed the builder, the face uh, uh, to the consumer to consolidate. And we, I could never get participation. I said every other industry, I mean, the boating industry, markets for their dealers, you know, uh, you know, every other industry has a vested interest in making sure the, that the consumer, that the person is interacting with the consumer is at the highest level. Our industry wasn't. All the money was in manufacturing and distribution. I got a call one day from a, a public company and they said they wanted to buy our company. And I said, I'm not interested in buying our company, uh, selling our company. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I am looking for a thought partner. So if, if I need to sell a piece of my company, I will uh, I will do that to get a, a thought partner. So what I did is I ended up selling a, a small portion of the business to a private uh, a company that was going public at the time. The guy that did the deal was a private equity guy. He he really kind of liked our business and he thought, man, our market position is extraordinary. Our customer uh, is a high quality customer. Customer acquisition is everything in the in the in the finance world. Um, and our reputation, our growth uh, profile was just never been seen before. So they thought we had a, a unique position. His private equity firm uh, tried to buy our company. I said, I still won't sell the company, but I'll sell a little more piece of the, the company as long as my wife and I retain the majority share ownership. So that's what we did. We brought them in. So we have a, a piece of our companies owned by a public company, a piece of our companies owned by a private equity firm. But uh, Debbie and I still own the majority of the company. And as you grow, you know, the number gets really attractive. They throw really, really big numbers at you. But, you know, what we've determined is the big number is not going to change our life. We want to we make sure that we, we follow this path and make sure that even as, you know, in the next five years or so when I retire, that we're turning it over to somebody that understands what we want to accomplish for the next 30 years. And that was more important than just increasing the value of the business and just selling it um, because we're okay. I mean, you know, yeah. we can put You've food on well. the table. That's I, right. I, yeah. I, I, th I think at the end of the day, I, I want to be somebody that makes a difference and creates yeah. a legacy. Yeah. So what, so you said five years, you're looking at maybe potentially retiring. What is the next phase? You said you did 757 million last year. Would you guys want to eclipse a billion in the next five years or what's kind of the oh, growth? Oh, we will, we will absolutely eclipse a billion. Uh, okay. As soon as the market turns back around, it's, it's soft right now. Uh, we'll end up, uh, we'll, we're going to be down about 15% this year. 
but uh, we, we feel like in five years, we'll be doing in excess of a, a billion and a half. Uh, our growth profile is good. Uh, growth begets growth. Uh, the you know what a lot of it's just putting your team together, you know, uh, making sure that we had to go get a world class CFO. We had to put financial analysts on board. We had to put GPO people on board, operations management on board. You have to put this infrastructure that, that creates a scalability, and uh, we are now using this time to do this so that we're leveraged to kind of come through the other side like a you know a slingshot and take more. We're going to exploit the fragmentation of the industry. Uh, probably the same as you're doing, and uh, create the scalability uh, and the value proposition that the consumer demands. And uh, so we, we believe our growth profile is going to be very good. That's awesome. Okay, so in five years, do you, do you want to hand this down to your kids, or do you guys want to exit it or take it public? What are you thinking over the next five, ten years? <clears throat> well, I don't. I you know, I guess it'll take care of itself. I don't believe public is 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 the answer. Uh, it may be. Uh, we're going we're gonna to figure out who the person is or the team is that can take the company uh, and grow, grow the company based on bringing more value to the consumer and bringing a better experience. Uh, and, you know, you can't force that. You can't stick that square block in a round hole. You just have to, you know, somebody will emerge uh, and somebody will, you know, it'll be a real clear uh, what direction we, we're going in. And like I said, every day we're looking uh, uh, just because I'd like to bring that person on today uh, or we may have that person today uh, so that we can continue to grow and they can they can get immersed into, again, as I said earlier, our culture and things that are important. And my culture is so important is we're, you know, most of our franchisees, they're not, you know, they don't have doctorate degrees out there. They're just hardworking people. They got an entrepreneur spirit. I mean, I'm bringing police officers in. I'm bringing nurses in. I'm bringing firemen in. I'm bringing all kinds of people, not even in our industry. That just have a, you know, I brought a guy in that was a Detroit police officer. He had wife and four kids under 10 years old. Think about his wife sending him off to work every day in Detroit. You know, now he's he's he moved from Detroit to Charlotte, and and he started a business with us three years ago. And he's doing 15 million dollars in business now. And, uh, you know, now he can, he says, when I, when I go off to work, my kids jump in the truck with me and they go off to work with me. Well, that's the kind of stuff that we're proud of. That's right. That's the purpose part. That's like, yeah, the money's cool. The leg, all of that stuff is cool, but you're changing people's lives. Right. And ultimately that's, that's what gets you out of bed every day. So I love that. So, so obviously your yeah. kids are in the business. Talk to me about the family component because uh, it's, it's actually my dad, me and my brother who are third partners in this thing. We started it together. Um, talk to me about the family component. How does it work working with your kids and working with your family? Working with my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, uh, <laughs> she's been my partner from day one. We've been married for 43 years and, and, uh, you know, through this entire journey, uh, she's been with me and it, again, I, I, it, it's a blessing. Uh, I get to, you know, my kids where I, where I was working 15 hours a day building this business and uh, my wife became a pool widow, you know, um, <laughs> now I get to, you know, it, I, I, it, it's a turnaround. Now I get to work with my, my oldest son and, and uh, you know, my grandkids come in. Uh, my wife goes to work with me every day. Um, and so, you know, we got married real, real early and, 
and we've had a, a great life, but now we get to, you know, where we didn't have the time then, we get the time now. And more, most importantly, we have a business that our kids and our grandkids could work in and for the next 50 years. So, but, but again, the, the, the challenging part is that everything, business is all consuming. So we're used to have business time and family time. Now it's all business time. Yeah. You know, even family time, family time becomes business time because that's all you, you're engaged with it seven days a week and you can never get away from it because yep. that's yep. the thing that consumes your life. And <clears throat> It's a fair trade-off for us because we do something we like and we're validated by, but I guess that would be the challenge. You know, when it's not going well, how how do you escape? Uh, because you don't you don't have a home to go home and escape with because your home is, you know, it's it all blends together. So that's right. That's that's a dynamic you're probably uh, used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure. then and yeah. then the other part is, as you have a lot of people in your business, you're going to have a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. Uh, and uh, running a business in a lot of respects is just like a marriage. So you, you have to understand your roles and responsibilities and people need to stay in their lanes and they can have an opinion, but you have to have clear leadership and you have to, you know, otherwise everything becomes convoluted and it becomes stressful. And the people that aren't working in the business, like the wives of your brothers and stuff, they're going to have an opinion yeah. and they're, they're not there seeing the business every day. Yeah. And that. If, if, if you're not on the same page with roles and responsibilities and clarity of, in the business and visibility of what's going on, it can be challenging. Partnerships, for the most part, uh, we, we see it in our franchise business, don't work out. Uh, so the if but but again, people always ask me, how do you work with your kids? How do you work with your wife? And I said, well, we first of all uh, have a ton of respect for each other, but we try to stay in our lanes and know what, what our responsibilities and roles are in the company. And then, you know, and just don't look at your position as the one creating the most value. You have to see everybody else's position say, you know, to run a great company, everybody in the, every partner in the business has value. That's and right. If you can resolve that, it usually works out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I, we talk about that all the time. You know, me, my dad and my brother just did a really good job early on to say, Hey, this is what you're good at. This is what you're good at. And this is my skill set. Let's not get into each other's lanes. Yes, we can chat through things. Um, and then another thing I think we've done really well is if there is a heated argument, it stays between the lines. Like we're in a game together. We're building a business. We don't have to take offense and get frustrated at each other outside of this. Let's deal with it in between the lines so that we can, you know, still be family afterwards. So I think that's been, that's a big thing. That's great too. advice. Yeah. That's a great, that's great advice. Uh, and like I said, uh, don't bring in somebody to take your side. You know, you, you just figure out, uh, you know, we're going to work this out. And we all, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. So let's figure out a solution so that we can all achieve the same thing. That's right. That's right. So what are you most excited about over the the next five years? I'm excited to see us, you know, um, I wouldn't say that we're a household name, but we're becoming a household name. We, we have, you know, uh, like I said, we draw about, uh, 150,000 leads a year. We, we, we draw, you know, 1.5 million people to our website People see our TV shows and our YouTube channels. Uh, I, I want our brand to be recognized as a brand uh, of quality and integrity and that we enhance people's lives. 
And I think we have a really great opportunity over the next five years to do that through consolidation and continuing to grow our business and getting better at what we do. You know, I've been doing it for 35 years and we're a better company today than we were five years ago. And I hope to be a better company in five years than we are today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what, um, a couple final things, what, um, if you had to define success, what would your definition be? That you're respected, uh, by your family, uh, by your customer, by the community, and you're respected because people say that, here, here's, I, I say this all the time, and I don't mean to get philosophical about it, but I said, you know, at the end of the day, if they're, you know, and I'm gone, and they're put, putting dirt over the top of me, nobody's going to say, look at how much money that dude had. Mm-hmm. If somebody there says, you know, I knew Paul, he was a good guy, had a positive impact on my life, uh, he made a difference, then it was a success. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, that's all that matters. You know, early on, we're working for, you know, survival and a house and a car and to put our kids in school. But you kind of reach a point later on in life where you say, okay, I've done all those things. Now what's really important? If I keep chasing those things, I'm going to chase something that's not satisfying. Uh, I think legacy is should be important with everybody, whether you're in business or not. I that's mean, right. you know, it's, it's like just being a good father or being a good husband or being somebody, a stand-up guy in the community that you're just known that, you know, he he's a guy that's done well for himself, but he never had to sell his soul to be successful. I love it. And uh, that's something that, uh, you know, I'm, that I'm proud of. That I don't believe. And, 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 and along the way, if it turned out that I wasn't successful or monetarily successful, I would have felt still I was successful because I, need to, I never had to sacrifice uh, or I wouldn't sacrifice uh, just to, you know, to sell my soul to be successful, yeah, you know, and, and when I say successful, at least monetarily successful. So I gauge success on a different level. And, and, and that's, that is, you know, uh, people always, like I said, I, I talked to the wall street journal and the New York times, and uh, we just got named by entrepreneurial magazine, the number one franchise and in, in the home improvement business and all the franchises in the United States. And so they always talk to me and they always want to know, the, the the success what, what what has been your the the buttons you're pushing or the the uh, uh, things that you're you're pulling behind the scenes and I always tell them it's the people and they always say well come on everybody says it's people I say no it's it's the people that are like minded that mm-hmm. go shoulder to shoulder have a common goal and execute on a common goal that's extraordinary and I said a lot of people talk about that very few people accomplish that mm-hmm. because they lose their way along the way and that. That is something that we're focused on. And not only from a business perspective, I'd hope that we've taught people that you can do things with with integrity and character and you can be successful. You do not have to sell your soul. And if they become better parents, they become better husbands or wives, uh, they become better uh, citizens in their community, then I've done a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. You know, I've at least helped some people see that you don't have to sell your soul to be successful. And in today's world, the world is selling its soul mm-hmm. to, just to be successful. And like I said, I think we just have to get back to basics, you know, and, and treat people right, give people great service, and you'll be rewarded for it. I love it. So true. So true. Okay. I always ask this at the end of every podcast. If you stripped everything away, what would three key components be to build a successful business? What are three things that you think an entrepreneur needs to be successful? I think you, uh, you need passion. 
Yeah. I need, I think you need purpose. Uh, and you have to have a, re, uh, a relentless uh, uh, pursuit of, 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 of never, ever giving up. You know, I, I believe the strongest steel is forged into the hottest fire. And so you need to be tested. And if you're, if your purpose is strong enough, your passion is strong enough, you won't let the fire melt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are the things that, that, and that's why we say, don't, don't go for the money because once you reach a certain amount of money and things get tough, you just give up. Mm-hmm. But once you're trying to accomplish something bigger uh, and it's, it's normally purpose or passion are things that you ultimately say, Hey, there's more I can give. There's more that I want to accomplish. You have to have a, a a goal that's worthy at the other end. And if you do that, that will, that will, uh, the, the pits will flatten out. The mountains, <laughs> uh, will flatten out, uh, and, uh, and allow you kind of to get through that kind of process because it's amazing how much, you know, I don't, I, I have, I've got people with doctorate degrees that work for me and master's degree. I, I have a high school education yeah. and I was raised by a single mother on welfare. And uh, I surround myself with extraordinary people that want the same thing that I want. Just because they have the big degrees, that doesn't mean they don't have a great family and uh, they great opportunity. And I think everybody needs to, to realize that anybody can accomplish anything if you have a worthy goal and you focus on that goal mm-hmm. and that it becomes insatiable with you as you start to hit the milestones and you start to see, I'm, I'm affecting people. I'm building a business. I'm doing these things. Nobody should put a label on people's ability to be successful. That's I think good. anybody that works hard enough has a clear vision. Uh, they can accomplish anything they want. I love it. So good. And just like you said, the police officer in Detroit, you know, that that's something that inspires you every day, I'm sure. Just affecting change every day. and impacting people's lives. So, Paul, it's been phenomenal. Really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I look forward to hope, hopefully talking to you more and, and, you know, doing what you guys have done. That's our goal, right? Like you guys are inspiring us at Anchor Tiny Homes. You know, we're in the beginning of our journey and just seeing that people have done it at the highest level. It, it, it's inspiring. So I'm excited to see what you guys do over the next five years and then follow in your footsteps. Well, thank you. And best of luck to you and your family, my friend. Yep. Thanks, Paul. We'll talk soon. Take care. Right, bye.